Support for The Interchange comes from Wonder Capital. Having already financed more than 100 megawatts of small commercial solar projects, Wonder Capital was recently named the leading commercial solar financier by, who else? Us, Green Tech Media. To find out how Wonder Capital can help you finance your next community solar or commercial solar project, head on over to wondercapital.com gtm. Wonder Capital, powering the commercial solar industry. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor at GTM in Boston. This week, the future of Tesla energy. All the way back in 2006, Elon Musk posted a manifesto. It outlined his vision for a high-end sports car that would push unit volume and lower costs. It also included hints about an integrated company that will sell solar and batteries alongside cars. Thirteen years later, that vision is being put to the test. After launching a distributed and grid-scale battery business, acquiring Solar City, and then launching a half-baked solar roof, Tesla's energy services division is in flux. Battery delays are a problem, the company is no longer a major solar player, solar roof production is feeble, and now Tesla is closing a bunch of its stores in favor of online sales, although it did reverse a decision to close nearly all stores. So what exactly is Tesla Energy? We're going to revisit the chronology and explore where it's all headed. Shail Khan is my co-host. He's a managing director at Energy Impact Partners, and he joins me from New York this week. Hello, Shale. How are you? Hello, Stephen. I'm doing great. What floor are you on today? I'm on the 29th floor of a hotel in Midtown Manhattan. Nice. Uh, I guess that's a suitable floor for a managing director. <laughs> I see you have a new title. I do. Thank you, Stephen. Well, a step up for you, I presume, and then a step up for me because it's a lot easier than Senior VP of Research and Strategy. So you made my job easier. <laughs> if only the if only the podcast listeners had heard how many times you would screw up my title every time. That was the main reason I wanted a new, new title, just to make it easy on you. <laughs> so I guess then you didn't follow up my request to take a car to Tesla's New York Buffalo factory and uh, wait out in the parking lot and catch a glimpse of the solar roof. That is correct. I am not at Gigafactory 2 right now, though I am closer to it than I usually am. Um, Though I suspect if I showed up there, there's not a whole lot that I would see. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that. Uh, There is some going on, but it's not all Tesla. There's a lot of Panasonic activity. So we're going to arrive to that point and talk a bit about what's going on with Tesla's solar business, but it's all wrapped up into its broader energy business. And I guess we start with what's going on now. So at the end of February, Musk surprised everyone, including employees, which I suppose is not a surprise, by announcing that Tesla would close nearly all its 300 stores. That decision was just reversed due to intense pressure. But Tesla still says it's shifting mostly to online sales. So Musk says that three quarters of sales for its products happen outside stores anyway. A lot of the focus on the decision is rightly focused on cars, but it got us thinking about the two other pillars, batteries and solar. Are we seeing a de-emphasis of the original Tesla energy plan or a natural evolution in Musk's product-focused approach? So let's first start with a timeline. Shale, I'm going to quiz you on a few key moments to test your historical knowledge. Mm, Okay, my historical knowledge of Tesla energy? Yes. Let's see how you do. So our story (laughs) begins in May of 2015. Do you remember what happened then? May of 2015. Uh, that was, was that the release of the Powerwall, the original one? 
Ah, yes. Yes, it is indeed. Uh-huh. Now, so the thing to know about that moment was that Tesla had already been selling batteries, like stationary storage batteries into the market. Um, they just hadn't done a formal launch of it. So this was like, this was, you know, one of the big, like Elon Musk gets up in front of a, a ton of people and announces the, that they are an energy business now. Um, but it wasn't the first time that they had been selling batteries. That's exactly right. Uh, and they, they had iterations of a, a battery system that they had been selling alongside Solar City. It was a, it was a clunky looking thing compared to the, what the Powerwall looks like today, but they had been selling batteries for for some time. And the, the invite to that unveiling event, as I recall, was called The Missing Piece. And it was very clear that batteries were always this important piece of the Tesla business model uh, because, you know, they needed to scale batteries in order to drop the cost for electric vehicle applications. Yeah. And as I remember it, that was also painted by Elon Musk as Tesla's real transformation into what he said Tesla was always meant to be, which was not a car company, but a sustainable energy company and having the batteries as a part of that. And he mentioned solar via solar city. As you said, they were selling power walls um, through solar city. They were also doing energy storage development outside of solar city entirely. Like in the early days of the California commercial energy storage market, the S-chip market, Tesla actually itself was developing projects and was taking up like a pretty big chunk of the original S-chip applications. Um, so they were they were a, a battery developer in addition to being a battery product company at the time. And so it seemed like given what Elon Musk was saying about Tesla becoming a sustainable energy company and the um, the strategy that they had undertaken with vehicles, which was full vertical integration all the way from upstream manufacturing down through, uh, you know, owning their own dealerships, uh, was that they were probably going to try to do the same thing in energy. Yeah, this is a good time to remind people of a previous relevant episode. Maybe it was a year and a half ago or two years ago, we talked to Matteo Jaramillo, who is the former VP at Tesla's battery business. He he helped launch Tesla's battery business. He'd been working on distributed applications for some time before going into Tesla and had been, you know, secretly working on on the battery business and actually deploying projects for Tesla under this S-chip program before the battery business became a public known entity. So this has been going on for a while. And and I guess there are a few questions that I want to answer about this, which is um how important is energy for Tesla uh, when it comes to batteries? Are these batteries just important for scaling so that they can drop the cost of electric vehicles? Or is Tesla actually serious about the battery business because it wants to help people manage their energy use or help make the grid more efficient and resilient? What are your thoughts? So I think it can be both things. I think having a stationary storage business is smart if you're producing a ton of batteries with sort of vehicle demand that waxes and wanes. Um, it's a it's a good way to hedge your bets a little bit there. But my suspicion is that that now and initially was not the driving motivation. I do think that, that Tesla has a what is by all accounts a very good product on the battery side. Um, they're, they're, you know, up there with the very few other manufacturers at scale of lithium ion batteries for stationary applications, LG Chem and Samsung and, um, very few others, increasingly BYD and some Chinese companies. But 
so they've, they've got a sort of world-class product and they're in the top tier of suppliers to that market. They've also got the ability to create a strong branded product, which the power wall certainly is, and to a lesser extent, the power pack. So I think that on the storage side, um, they are serious about it. And we could talk about how that fits in with the Tesla energy strategy more generally and what that means about solar. But I think all the evidence thus far, it, it's hard to it's hard to make the case that Tesla's not serious about storage. I mean, I can I can list off a few other things that they've done. So in addition to um, selling batteries into the market, right? They're selling power walls for which there is an enormous backlog of demand. The biggest problem that they've had on the power wall side has been, you know, long delivery times, like months and years in some case. So they have a backlog of demand for power walls, and that that seems to continue to be true despite the fact that they have long wait times. Um, they've done some innovative programs with like Green Mountain Power in Vermont. They have a virtual power plant um, program going on in Australia. On the power pack side, which is their larger application, you know, they they won this iconic Australia project um, where they are, you know, they built this whole bidding system to bid into like 17 wholesale markets in Australia simultaneously. That project is operating and by all accounts performing well. And Tesla continues to win as a supplier to new large-scale storage applications um, when developers like NextEra and others go out and bid for those. So I think though Tesla is doing less development now on the storage side than they were in the early days of the market, they remain a major player there. And I don't see any indication that that part is waning. Absolutely. So it's very clear that batteries are still an important component of Tesla energy. And in fact, before we recorded, we heard from a spokesperson who pointed us to some numbers. And this spokesperson said that uh, a new manufacturing line made by Tesla Groman is further increasing production of Powerwall and Powerpack modules at the Gigafactory, and they are going to try to double energy storage deployments to over 2 gigawatt hours in 2019. And this person also uh, claimed average sale to installation time decreased by 50% in 2018. Uh, with that said, though, there have been a lot of battery delays uh, for distributed applications. So Tesla has gone through some serious troubles, but it's very clear that the official line is battery storage is very important to the overall health of the business. Yeah, so I think that is true. It, it doesn't mean that Tesla has had a clear and consistent vision for what they want to be in the energy storage business for the entirety of their tenure. I think we could talk about this a little bit later, but it, it does seem like... Um, what Tesla's vertical integration strategy is and channel strategy, that type of stuff has gone back and forth a fair bit, even within just the storage side of the business. Okay, so the plot thickens in the summer of 2016. Uh, news broke while we were holding our GTM Grid Edge conference about this story, and I had to run to my hotel room to to draft something up. What was it, Shale? Oh, you, you gave that one away because I was also at that conference, and I remember that moment um, when I got a notification on my phone that Tesla was acquiring Solar City, So that is the major event of 2016. That is correct. And if you'll recall, the vision was to create, quote, the world's only vertically integrated energy company offering end-to-end -end clean energy products. Uh, it hasn't materialized as they 
as they defined it back then. This was a pretty messy acquisition. You know, Solar City was going through some pretty serious financial problems. It was facing a lot of debt. It was burning through cash. Uh, it had recently in- invested in Salevo and tried to become a solar manufacturer, or it had acquired Salevo and tried to become a solar manufacturer. And a lot of investors saw this as a bailout. What, what are your thoughts on how this acquisition materialized? Well, let's spend a minute just recapping what Solar City was at the time. Um, Solar City was by far the largest residential solar company in the United States. Um, these days, Solar City, and we'll talk about this, they're, they're, I think, third behind Sunrun and Vivint. But at that time, they were, you know, I think three times larger than Sunrun, which was the next largest, or Vivint maybe. Um, so they were installing more residential solar than anybody. They had about a third of the entire residential solar market in the United States. They were actually also the second largest commercial solar company in the country. So they had gotten into commercial solar in a big way as well and, you know, quickly become one of the largest players there. They had gotten into uh, developing microgrids and they had this whole other division that was sort of getting into the next phase of things in, in distributed energy. They were, you know, operating on islands. Um, and so they were just, you know, on this tear. And then meanwhile, as you said, they were going through this process of upstream vertical integration. So they had started as an installer and a finance provider. You know, they, they, along with Sunrun, pioneered the residential solar lease, which was the main thing that sort of drove growth in the residential solar market from like 2009 to 2014 or so. Um, and then they decided to buy Salevo, which integrated them upstream to make them a module supplier. And that was very much, I mean, the, this whole thing is right out of the the Tesla playbook, right? They were the first vertically integrated sort of large scale installer in the first place, even before they bought Salevo, which meant that they not only sold to customers, um, but they also fulfilled. They had their own installers who were full-time on staff, which wasn't true of Sunrun, who was working through partners at the time. You had other players in the market like Sungevity at the time who were subcontracting. So they had always taken a more vertically integrated approach than most others. This was even further and went further than anybody else had gone to actually become a module supplier as well. And then there was speculation that they were going to add on and buy an inverter company or something like that and try to basically do what Tesla does. Um, but so they, they were, you know, they were still big and pretty dominant and growing. Um, but as you said, they were, you know, looking down the barrel of a tough financing situation. They had a lot of debt that was coming due. It wasn't clear exactly how they were going to pay it. And so at the time of the acquisition, um, and the way that Tesla talked about it, I think it really split people. There were some people who were looking at this saying, well, this is an obvious bailout. Solar City, first of all, Tesla, <laughs> see Elon Musk is the chairman of the board of Tesla. They share, or of Solar City rather, they share a number of board members. This is going to be a weird vote from Tesla's board of directors. Um, Elon obviously had a, a you know motivation for Solar City not to go under, and there was this financial trouble. That's on one hand, right? On the other hand, at the time, you you could paint a pretty clear picture of, no, this actually does make sense given Tesla's, how they describe their strategy. And in light of um, the announcement a year earlier about being a sustainable energy company and getting into the, the energy business via energy storage, you know, this sort of made sense, um, at least to some people. So you had this real split of what what everybody thought this meant for Tesla. Right, but virtually overnight, Tesla started moving away from SolarCity's business model. And it became very clear within 
you know, six months to a year that Tesla was going to focus on products and not on solar services. And you have to compare what Tesla did within the year of the acquisition to the original statement when the acquisition was announced. We want to create the world's only vertically integrated energy company offering end-to-end clean energy products. And that's not what it did. It quickly de-emphasized solar. So it seems to me like it's more of a bailout than it was a strategic acquisition to make solar a big part of the business. Yeah. So I think that is possible. But one of the the things that's made it frustrating is that Tesla never, throughout this this whole time since they bought Solar City, they never described it um, what they were doing in any given move as de-emphasizing solar, and they never really admitted to the acquisition of Solar City not going according to plan, which it quite obviously hasn't. Right? Maybe it wasn't a bailout, but it definitely has not gone how they hoped it would go. Um, instead, what they did is they made a bunch of incremental moves along the way. And every time they made an incremental move, they would describe it as right-sizing the business or, the, or setting it up for long-term success or something like that, which has become sort of less and less believable each time that they do it. So as an example, right, so Solar City, um, because they were national and, you know, trying to grow as fast as possible, they were using basically every customer acquisition channel in the book to sell residential solar, um, a big part of which was door-to-door sales. We had discovered that door-to-door was actually a really effective way to sell residential solar. Vivint sort of pioneered that model, and then everybody else took it on, at least in part, and Solar City was among them. So um, they had a lot of people who were doing those door-to-door sales. Tesla got rid of all of them and got rid of door-to-door sales entirely. They also basically got rid of all Solar City marketing, sort of digital marketing and the other ways that you sell solar. So retrenching back to what they were describing as using an asset, which was selling solar in their retail stores, was their big strategy. But anybody who was in the solar market knew that that wasn't a particularly credible story if they wanted to keep growing the solar business. Selling solar in retail stores is fine, you know, but it's certainly not going to do the volumes that Solar City was doing. And then they kept going, right? The Solar City actually had a really effective channel partnership selling through Home Depot. Tesla killed that partnership. Um, they've laid off a bunch of the installers. So Every single step along the way has been in the same direction, which is just kind of pulling back on that solar business, which is fine if they want to do that. But I think they do need to account for what the difference is between how they described Tesla Energy when they bought Solar City and what the solar part of their business is today. I do want to take this moment to talk about, to kind of defend Tesla. Before they acquired Solar City, Solar City's average cancellation rate was up to 45%. And its door-to-door sales team saw rates cancellation rates of 70%. That comes from Austin Carr, a fantastic reporter who has written some great pieces for Bloomberg and Fast Company. And the numbers that he showed were ludicrously high. So if you have cancellation rates like that, um, you know, there, there's a case to be made that shifting to a different sales model could work. And of course, SolarCity was burning through a ton of cash. And you know, while Tesla has clearly de-emphasized solar, there is an argument to be made that the Solar City business model was unsustainable. Maybe, but then Tesla shouldn't have paid whatever it was, two point nine billion dollars for Solar City. Right. 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 Like the, the you know, I, it, try this. In fact, let me let me give you a chance to uh, to sell this to me. Paint the most charitable picture that you can of the Solar City acquisition by Tesla. Tell me, tell me what they were actually thinking at the time, and then how that strategy has played through today in the in the rosiest light that you can. 
I think I'll just go back to what they described on the website when they announced the acquisition. This is part of Elon's master plan. Consumers want solar. We think we can sell solar better than anyone else alongside batteries and electric vehicles. We know how to make products like this that are fairly expensive, attractive to a broader set of consumers, or at least a certain type of consumers, let's say that. And, you know, th- this was part of the master plan all along. They they wanted solar as a bigger piece of their business the whole time. And uh, Elon could now collaborate with Solar City in ways that they couldn't when they were two separate companies. You know, they talked about how there were limitations to to their partnership because they had two separate boards and they were governed by securities laws and now they could do whatever they wanted. Okay, so the charitable picture is they meant what they said when they made the acquisition. So what's happened since then? They've completely stripped down their solar business. They've laid off a huge amount of their workforce and they've gone from uh, you know, the the leader in residential solar to now having 6% market share, according to Allison Mond, who is a solar analyst with Wood McKenzie and Green Tech Media. So like, they've, they've completely de-emphasized solar. That's my point. So I mean, they are still the third largest, I think, residential solar installer in the country. But yeah, you know, from more than a third of the market down to 6%. The, the, but that's my point is that the most charitable picture I think you can paint is either one, they meant what they said when they made the acquisition and they got it wrong. You know, they, they realized once Solar City was inside that it wasn't going to work the way that they thought it was going to work. Um, or they knew it from the start. This was always part of the plan, in which case they were selling us a bill of goods when they made the acquisition. I don't see how you, how you can come to anything that combines the positive side of both of those. Right. So let's go to the fall of 2016 then, just a couple of months after the uh, announcement of the planned Solar City acquisition and before the board voted on the acquisition and it was approved. Uh, Musk took to the Desperate Housewives set and did something big that captured people's attention and uh, was, was claimed by many to be a catalyst for approving this solar acquisition. What happened? That would be the announcement of the solar roof. Indeed. I gave you too many hints there, but I figured you'd yeah, do it anyway. The, <laughs> the Desperate Housewives set was what gave it away. Right. So what did you think of that announcement at the time? So what Elon Musk was up at the Desperate Housewives set announcing was um, a new product design in the same way that like right now we have the the quote unquote launch of the model y it's a it's a similar thing in that they you know had something up on a roof but it wasn't actually operating and it wasn't supposed to be scaling for another i think he said year or 18 months or something like that at the time so this was a a new product design but it was for a building integrated solar roof tile so the the quick history there is that we've had BIPV, Building Integrated PV, um, products for a couple of decades. They never really taken off. I think the furthest that anybody had gotten was Dow had this uh, powerhouse shingle that they would sell. But it always faced challenges, many challenges ranging from roofers to electrical code to economics. Um, it was hard to make it efficient enough 
to justify the added cost um, to aesthetics. And so what we knew at the time, Elon Musk gets up on the Desperate Housewives set and tells you in, in standard fashion relatively little of the details, which frustrates people like us who are all about the details and trying to understand this stuff. Um, also notable, I should say, by the way, that Elon Musk was the one announcing that up on stage and nowhere to be seen were the two Solar City co-founders, uh, Lyndon and Pete Rive. Um, Pete in particular, who I think probably had more to do with this solar roof than anybody. So it was, Wait, this can was- I stop you there? If you'll recall, before this uh, unveiling, Musk actually teased it on an investor call. And Peter and, and Lyndon were sitting next to him, and Musk all of a sudden brought it up. And you could tell that both of them were really surprised. And according to reporting afterward, Peter Rive's team had actually been working on a different uh, roof-integrated product. Musk said he hated it and then pushed them to create a whole new thing, teased it on the conference call and took them completely by surprise. And then they had to come out and be like, okay, well, I guess we're developing this thing. It was a, it was a weird series of events. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how much to take the reporting at face value, but if it's, but if it's true, it's, I think just sort of an indication of what was probably happening internally at the time, which was kind of, it was becoming the Elon Musk show very quickly. But anyway, so whatever happens, he gets up there and announces this thing. And, and what we know about it at the time is it looks really good. You know, they've done the Tesla aesthetic job on it, which is, it, you know, those solar roof tiles looked better than any solar roof tiles or any other building integrated PV that I had ever seen. So they got that part right. And the economics side, the but numbers they didn't work. Well, they, they didn't work yet. Right. And that there was a <laughs> well, long history of challenges. But they were not energized. Yeah. Right. So they, but this was a this was a design launch, if anything. Um, and the economics that they were, were giving us were indicative, not real, and were kind of squishy. Um, they didn't give enough numbers to know for sure what, how it was going to look. And they were, you know, when you do comparisons, was it a comparison to this versus other solar? Was it a comparison to this versus the grid? Was it a comparison to this versus a roof? Um, or solar plus a roof. So depending on what you're comparing it to, it looked better or worse. So, you know, at the time, um, it, sort of was in step with the we want to be the world's best vertically integrated energy company and we're going to apply the tesla design thinking approach to to doing it within solar so that's what he did at the time i think everybody in the solar world was rightly somewhat skeptical because we had been we had spent so long watching building integrated PV products either never work from a technological perspective, never work from an economic perspective, or just be hard to sell and scale. Um, so there was a lot of rightful skepticism in the in the solar world. Right. So what's happened since then? Not much. They've experimented with different production methods in the Buffalo factory. They are not able to pump out many of these solar roof shingles. They've only got a couple dozen deployments reportedly uh, we're, we're years into this thing and not a lot has happened with the solar roof. Yeah. I mean, it has clearly taken much, much longer to scale up manufacturing for this product than was anticipated. There's no question about that. Um, also sort of remains at this point, unclear what the channel strategy for it is going to be. Are they going to employ roofers? Are they going to have roofer partners? I think this bigger question about Tesla's channel strategy and energy um, is probably going to impact the solar roof if and when they actually launch it at scale. Reportedly, they do have 
you know, solar roofs up and operating in the dozens or perhaps in the low hundreds, which is much, much less than they anticipated at the time when they announced it that they would have today, but does mean that they have at least built a, a product, a model product that that works. Um, and if you ask them about the solar roof, they continually say that they still, you know, it's taking longer, but they still intend to build it and they intend to scale it. And the, the Buffalo factory is, is going to be worth something, which is important in part because um, they made big promises in terms of jobs to the state of New York and they received big state incentives in order to build that factory. So they really have to deliver on it or, you know, the state of New York is going to be pretty unhappy. So coming up, the timeline leads us to today and raises some big questions about Tesla's next moves. First, though, do you have a community solar project that needs financing or maybe a solar plus storage project or a commercial solar project? Our sponsor, Wonder Capital, can help with any and all of those types of projects. Wonder just recently launched a progressive community solar offering, and it's dedicated to financing projects in ways that other lenders can't. Uh, hefty termination penalties, long-term contracts, subscriber FICO scores, they aren't required. And of course, speaking of our conversation this week on integrated energy offerings, Wonder is supporting projects with storage now. Head on over to wondercapital.com GTM to submit your solar projects today. Well, Shale, this brings us to today. You've proven yourself to be the Tesla historian, so I'm very proud of you. Um, Tesla is now shutting down a bunch of stores and pushing everything to online sales. Again, it's not shutting down all of its stores as originally planned. It's going to shut down a handful of them, but everything's going to online sales. It's clearly a move to help Tesla's financial situation, um, and it also has direct consequences for Tesla energy, particularly on the consumer side. Here's how Tesla originally described the Solar City acquisition. Quote, we'd be able to expand our addressable market further than either company could do separately because of the shared ideals of the companies and our customers. Those who are interested in buying Tesla vehicles or power walls are naturally interested in going solar. And the reverse is true as well. When brought together by the high foot traffic that is drawn to Tesla's stores, everyone should benefit. Well, those stores are no longer a big piece of this acquisition as originally planned. This latest move is a very clear reversal from that earlier decision. So, Shia, what questions does this raise for you? When you're reading that quote, I was thinking it's probably true that, you know, you there's a decent correlation between people who are going to buy a Tesla vehicle and people who are going to buy solar for their roof or a power wall for inside their house and vice versa. Neither of those are ways to build a big business in energy. You're always going to have the opportunity to sell many more power walls than you will Model 3s, just you know, for no other reason than because you have a much lower price point for it. So even just that, you know, the cross-selling strategy thing, it, that was never on its own going to be enough to scale the energy business. You just look at like, I don't take Vivint as an example. Vivint um, Solar was built off of Vivint Home, which is a, a huge home security company um, and also has like home automation and all that kind of stuff. And they've, you know, had a hard time I think figuring out the extent of the opportunity for cross-selling with that stuff, which is just as applicable as as a Model 3 buyer. So there's that piece. Then there's the piece about where do we sell? Do we sell in stores? And, you know, again, I think it's not implausible that you can sell solar or you can sell energy storage in a Tesla retail store, but it was never going to be a way to build a big business in 
solar or energy storage. That's now even more true if you get rid of the stores and you just do online sales. I'm pretty skeptical that you're going to see a lot of online sales, purely online sales of or a solar roof, right? People, you know, especially something like a solar roof, which replaces your existing roof. It's just very hard for me to imagine that almost anybody buys that online. So it just feels to me like they're going further and further back into this world where, you know, energy, I guess this is particularly solar, but to a lesser extent, I would say this is probably going to impact the power wall as well, um, just becomes a bit of a niche product. But so given that, I mean, what it seems like is pretty clear is that Tesla, I think you've mentioned this already, now views itself as an energy product company rather than an energy services company. They've built a very good product in the power wall and the power pack. They hope to build a very good product in the solar roof. If they're going to do both of those things, why not just become a supplier? Why not give up on this vertical integration strategy in energy and just sell those products like they do with the power pack? right? They're, they're a battery supplier to other developers. Why not do that down at the residential level? And for example, you know, sell through Sunrun. Tell Sunrun, we're no longer going to compete with you. We, we don't intend to sell the customers anymore. Um, but you can sell branded Tesla power power Powerwalls and, and solar roofs or Vivint or anybody else who's in the residential sales business. Why not just, you know, sort of give in on the customer acquisition side and and make yourself a product company entirely doesn't that feel like that's where we're headed i mean i i i feel like we're moving further and further away from this vertically integrated strategy we've gotten so far that it just feels to me like tesla is positioning itself as a product company i think we're getting a lot closer to that reality i think maybe but i it seems so uh counter to tesla's whole thing about branding you know that they want to control the customer experience it's just i think what they're realizing maybe is that the playbook for vehicles does not work for energy or at least the version of it that they were creating and so it seems like a sort of painful transition well let's be clear tesla is inching further away from its strategy outside of energy as well they've had to hike up prices for the model 3 because they're facing so much debt and they you know they need to they need to fix their financial situation they're they're closing down stores stores were so integral to their direct to consumer strategy and now overnight they've like thrown up the stores model and confused everybody so it feels to me like they're just making decisions as they go and that a lot of the decisions now are to keep Tesla on firm financial footing, not necessarily to live up to Elon's big vision. Yeah, that actually, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of of a, a new version of the most charitable explanation that I can give for what's happened with the Solar City acquisition, which is less to do with Solar City and more to do with Tesla. Which would be Tesla meant everything that it said when it acquired Solar City. Did you know that vision? Believed in that vision. Could have done it. Um, would have had to make some changes at Solar City, but fine. Would have would have worked, but for the fact that Tesla, in the meantime, was facing you know production hell and financial stress and all the things that were being caused by trying to scale up the Model Three and just the vehicle business in general. And so, as a result of that, they had to retrench and focus on the the um, 
vehicle business. And as a result, you know, sort of energy and solar especially was kind of collateral damage in that, which isn't, you know, the nicest picture to paint either, but perhaps is a little bit more charitable than the either they, uh, they got it wrong or they sold us a bill of goods version. Okay. So we just walked through the solar roof, solar services, batteries, how they all fit together, whether or not stores or online sales are the right route. The big question is, um, what does Tesla energy look like in five years? I mean, given what we know now, Shale, what is the most likely scenario? So I think in five years, let's see. Okay, so I think in five years um, on the storage side, Tesla will remain one of the largest suppliers of stationary batteries to the global market. They will not be developing many projects. I think to the extent that they're involved downstream on the storage side, it's going to be in sort of niche applications like like helping to build a microgrid project in an, on an island. Um, but as it pertains to standard run of the mill, you know, either grid scale or uh, residential or commercial batteries, they're going to be a product supplier. They will continue to have the, you know, they'll have a next gen Powerwall. Maybe they'll be on Powerwall six by that point or something. Um, and they will be supplying to other installers on the, on that side. Maybe they will ultimately be, be selling into Sunrun and other folks like that. Um, and they will be doing the same thing on the, on the large scale side. On the solar side, it's a bigger question mark, I think. I guess the picture I'd paint in five years is they, let's be charitable and say that they actually are selling the solar roof. It exists and one can acquire it, um, but they are basically selling it online as a niche product. It's not gonna, it doesn't scale. It's not the, it's not dominating the residential solar market, um, but you have a few really avid Tesla files or people who have a, a particular reason that they want to get a building integrated PV system who will go online and buy it. In order to do so, I still don't think they'll be selling it exclusively online. I think you, you'll go online and you'll book an appointment for somebody to come by your house. Now, who that somebody is, I don't think they're a Tesla employee. Ultimately, I think they're going to be a, it's going to be a channel partnership sort of a thing. Um, but at the end of the day, I think their solar business is going to be pretty small. Yep. I generally agree with that. An end-to-end vertically integrated solar EV and battery storage company will not materialize in five years within Tesla. And quite frankly, when you look at the expensive nature of these products, I think there was a lot of skepticism that that would ever materialize. You know, a $80,000, $100,000 solar roof, a $35,000 EV, a multi-thousand dollar power wall. There's a very small number of people who can afford that. You know, one of the side benefits of Tesla slowly but surely beating down its energy business has been the flood of talent that has left Tesla. They've had really great people and have some who are still there, but many really, really great people who were working on some part of the energy business who are no longer for reasons either of their own uh, volition or not, who've gone on to do other really interesting things. So I think there have been a few cases in the history of this market where there's been a, a sudden diaspora of really great talent 
um, exiting a company that have then led to a bunch of new innovations. The other examples that you could give would be like Sun Edison was a great example. That Sun Edison had an, a group of really amazing people who've all gone on to do fascinating and interesting things. I think Tesla is going to end up being the same way. So my most optimistic take is that the group of people from Tesla will go on to spawn a whole next generation of innovations in this space. And you picked up a Tesla person, a former colleague of ours, yourself over there, if you're chief of staff at Energy Impact Partners. We sure did. I managed to finally get Adam James to come back and work with me again after losing him to Solar City from, from GTM. Now he's, uh, he's our chief of staff at EIP and doing a great job. So he's a perfect example. Well, uh, I, I hope that we're not going to lose you to Tesla's uh, energy business now that you've proven yourself a, an adept historian at, at Tesla. <laughs> you want me to go be Tesla's in-house historian? That would be, that'd be an interesting career move for me. <laughs> I, I think it's somewhat unlikely at this point. Well, for now, we'll keep you as our co-host and the managing director of Energy Impact Partners. Shale, this was a lot of fun. Good to revisit all this Tesla stuff. Yeah, nice to take a walk down memory lane with you. Indeed. Well, if you want to share your thoughts on the future of Tesla Energy, hit us up on Twitter, Interchange Show. Shale Khan and I are there as well. Send us an email to podcast at greentechmedia.com to share your thoughts if you want to suggest an idea for a show. And give us a rating and review anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Lacey with Shale Khan. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media.